Uh, the music uh, drops in later. He'll I'll, add them so they sound I'll better edit, later. I'll yeah. edit the, you know, if, if anybody... If any of us say anything really stupid, he'll edit Say that. anything stupid or there's big pause. So don't worry about if there's a big pause or anything. It's yeah. all it's multi-track uh, and Barry, I just uh, cut it apart. It up. Barry yeah. will tighten it up. Yeah. Okay. He'll, he'll try desperately to make us sound smarter, you know, so we don't. So. Yeah. That's always the challenge. <laughs> As best he can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a tough job. I, c- I can tell already. <laughs> yeah. All right. Welcome, everyone. Here we are. This is another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. And that is Rob Elba. And welcome, everyone. To our show, me and Barry, we're in the same room again. We've been yes, doing it, sitting, and it's nice. We're sitting about eight feet apart. Eight feet apart. We're great. Yeah. yeah we're perfect. And uh, this is good. I like this. It works. It works. It's what, and, we, it's what we have for now. For now, this is it. Yeah. This is <laughs> For now, this is it. And this is like the, uh, this is our European month of shows, because just, I think, the whole month, we're talking to guests uh, uh, overseas a, across the pond. So we're doing like Sunday afternoons for us. Later That's right. Day. So we have a guest today and welcome. Will, will you introduce yourself to uh, that worker got me high, please, sir? Uh, I'm Marcus Reuter. I'm a, I'm a musician and I have a long history with this album. And uh, I, you know, by listening to this album, I, I realized that I'm kind of part of this family. And so it's, it's just really important. Discipline King Crimson. Excellent. There you go. Discipline. Yeah, and, and Marcus, I was I was reading and reading about you and your biography. I realize you really are. You connected. You have a big connection to yes. King Crimson and this record. Now, let me ask you, though. All right, so you're, aside from a musician, you're a composer, you're a producer, record producer, and you also uh, design instruments yourself, right? Yes, yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, now, and everything is interrelated. Right. All these things are interrelated, yeah. All right, so this particular record was this your was this what brought King Crimson to you, or were you already a King Crimson fan before this one? Do you want to hear the truth? I do. Yeah, sure. No, no, yes. Be we're, we're all about <laughs> honesty we, we on that record. We can handle high. the truth. <laughs> okay, so so I I think it was around eighty uh, nine that uh, my piano teacher mentioned King Crimson to me, or maybe it was even eighty seven or something. And then for a couple of years, I didn't. You know, the name sounded so interesting that I thought, okay, eventually I need to check this music out. Right. And uh, there was there was a day when I saw In the Court of the Crimson King in a, in a record store mm-hmm. and I bought it. And that must have been 89 because I think that the 20th anniversary edition had just been released. Right. So that's why I remember. And I had bought In the Court of the Crimson King. I took it home. And I listened to it, and I even I managed to return it to the store. So I didn't like it. <laughs> so uh, yes. I mean that has that has changed. But for me, as as a young man, that was not the music I was right. I was hoping to hear, and that I didn't. It was not the music that I associated with the vibe of the name. Right, right. I have to I have to admit that. But then, just uh, I think maybe a couple of weeks later, I bought Discipline. Um, because I think there was like a like a box set with uh, in the court and uh, and larks and discipline and an EG sampler. Right, that sounds I don't familiar. Know if you guys remember that? Yeah, and and so I, I and then they they were selling the discs individually in the store, and I bought I bought discipline and I put it on and after just just Tony Levin's intro on the stick for mm-hmm. Elephant Talk, mm-hmm. I knew I knew that this is my my tribe. Yeah, and I'm not, yeah. not I'm not kidding because I I remember the exact words that I was thinking in German, so I have to paraphrase now. 
but it was something like, ah, there are people out there that actually make the music that I hear in my head. Ah, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's pretty that's great. That's cool. That's but, but yeah, you must have been confused. Like, not like, is this even the same band yeah, as another record yes, I got? Because true. it is. I mean, I, yeah. I remember, I'm a, I'm a little older than you, so I remember The Court of the Crimson King. But then I remember when this came out, because uh, there was a break in, in the band, and obviously there's only uh, only one original member from that, that original, period. that period. Right. But yeah, you yeah. you could easily tell someone, oh, this is that there was two different bands, and no there one would, would be say, no, yeah. they would not know. Yeah, exactly. But no, for me, it was you know since I was already um, into music and kind of I had some idea how music is being made and produced, I was aware that I you know need to read the liner notes. <laughs> and, oh right. And right. so I so I knew I I knew that it wasn't the same band, but that it had the same name and. But somehow this album really opened opened the door for me to yeah. to really enjoy the whole catalog. Really, yeah. Uh, so my oh, initial okay. My, okay. So you know, after my, this, yeah, you, know, you my, like uh, dug around yeah. and found other. Yeah, stuff. I went. I went back, and then I, I obviously I think that uh, in the Court of the Crimson King is a wonderful album. But you know, just for the initial. Uh, like the initiation, let's say. A yeah. young kid it like you, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't the right thing. Yeah, back right. then in the you know late eighties. Right. Yeah. I had heard them in the seventies. In the late seventies, I heard them. Um, I had heard Red at uh, <laughs> from in the famous in this podcast the public library where my father lived and I would visit in the summer. They had records you could check out, and and, and Red was one of the albums you could check out. So I heard mm-hmm. that, and, and obviously, you know that record. That record, I think, is closer to discipline than it is to in the court of the Crimson King. So yeah, for sure, I, for sure. I, I understood what was going on there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Red is a heavy record with a lot of. Um, it's it, it still sounds modern when you listen to it now. In the court of the Crimson King, also is a record that I I listened to, but I never had the same connection with it as I did with Red. And then, of course, Discipline came out, and I had been reading about Robert in, in Musician Magazine. He had all these articles where he talked about what he was doing. And uh, I knew that there was this band that he, he was had done called... The band was called Discipline originally. And it yeah. was the same members. It's Bill Bruford and Tony Levin and Adrian Ballou. And then at some point, they were practicing, and he said... He just realized, oh, this is actually King Crimson. And so he... Yeah they did this album and I bought it the day it came out at a store called Record City in Orlando and um, at Record City one of the employees this guy named Ray Eamon who's a cool guy still is a very cool guy and Ray said I bought it and he goes and Ray was a very hip music fan listened to a lot of uh, crop rock from the early 70s um, you know uh, uh, Amandul and stuff like that and Can mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. he goes well let's put it on in the record store and for, for you know I was like I wasn't even you know, how old was I <laughs> 17, 16 <laughs> I was like mm-hmm. cool you know this felt like oh the big guy is gonna put on the album and so we put it on and we listened to it and I think we played it twice in the record store and yeah, from then on, it was, it was uh, you know, I was hooked. Um, the sound of this record is not like anything, anything else. It's, um, this one is, yeah, exactly. this one's special. I think this in one many, is, in many yeah, regards, yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. I so agree. were you, so were you already playing, so you, were you already a musician when you were listening to this? Were you playing a guitar at this point? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was playing guitar already. Okay. Um, but funnily enough, I hadn't, I hadn't really heard of King Crimson in, uh, 
through the media. You know, it was that that piano teacher um, <laughs> who mentioned, and and that same piano teacher he gave me a like a mixtape which only had two tracks on it, which was uh, Yes, Heart of the Sunrise and uh-huh. uh, David Torn, like the first track from the uh, uh, Cloud About Mercury record. Okay. And, and those were kind of like, you know, he mentioned King Crimson in the same vein, like, yes. you know, at the same time. And and so, um, I, for me, you know, names play a big role in my life. I really think that names are very important because they kind of carry some sort of vibe with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I'm also kind of like really, um, yeah, like naming my own pieces. I'm kind of picky also because of that. Sure. And and um, so King Crimson was just made me so curious, <laughs> and you yeah. know it only. I mean, it happened uh, like several times in my life, but it mostly was like girlfriends <laughs> where I where yeah, I heard the name and I thought, okay, I need to, yeah. I, I need to, I need to get to know the woman that has that name, right? And, right. <laughs> and so in a way that you know, like it was pretty clear from the beginning. You know, once I realized that. Like that, the, just just the first few seconds, really, of Elephant Talk, mm. I realized, okay, this is my this is my yeah. tribe. Well, not only your tribe, but also your means of of playing music or of being a musician, because you heard those first notes, and it's a Chapman stick, a touch instrument. Now, uh, yeah. Did you realize? Yeah, uh, did you realize what that was yet, or did you have to? No, do, no, 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 you no, had to research no. it, right? Yeah, I had no, I had no idea then, right. and uh, I had started researching it. And I mean, it's funny because like these these first few important events, they happened in a short time frame, like maybe maybe one and a half years or yes. something like that. Because I, I rem- I'm not exactly sure. It may even have been uh, ninety already when I heard discipline. Okay? okay. So and then in in uh, in April, I think it was April ninety one. Um, you know, you need to know I was 18, right? I was going to ask you that. I was still 17. Yeah, yeah. So I, I but, but um, Robert Fripp and the League of Crafty Guitarists were touring in Germany. Mm-hmm. And they, okay. they played in Bielefeld, which is just like, like maybe um, like 50 miles from okay. where I used to live. Okay. So and then um, I asked the sister of a friend to drive me to that show, and I was there, and there were. Um, and at that time, I was just a fan of King Crimson. Really, I didn't really know much more about Robert's output or even even Robert's reputation as a guitarist. Right. Okay, I went I went purely on the on my musical taste, let's say. Sure. Yeah. And and um, but there were there were flyers on the tables at the show uh, for one of his seminars, Robert's Sem- Guitar Craft seminars. And so, really, in uh, in June or July '91, I went to my uh, first guitar craft course. So it really happened within, you know, like 18 months from like, you know, getting to know the Discipline album and then becoming a student of Robert Fripp. Right, right. right. And or, or like a student or yeah. anyway, like he became my instructor. That's my better way. <laughs> yeah. And it. now, yeah. And, and I will say in reading about you more, I've heard you being compared to uh, Robert Fripp. Like, oh, this guy's the next Robert Fripp and stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that's you going on and putting that yourself. I don't think so, though. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it, but I understand. I understand why people uh, say that because I really believe that I have some sort of uh, understanding for the music, right? Yes. Right. Well, um, clearly, it clearly like grabbed you and just. Now, let me ask you: yeah. in in ninety, what what other music were you listening to? Like, what other what other bands were you into at that time? Um, um, 
yeah, it was mostly Mike Oldfield, really. Oh, and that was your original yeah. choice of album to talk was uh, yeah, exactly um, was Incantations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I thought that record has no words on it. So, talking about an entirely instrumental album, yeah, that would have been tough. Is is diff- We've discovered is okay. Is so difficult. you weren't your normal, <laughs> but you weren't your normal eighteen-year-old guitar player kid into. Nirvana, no, no, I was, Nirvana you know, and I was, like that. No, no, not at all. Not no, at all. I, okay. was, I was into contemporary classical music already. Oh, okay, okay. And okay. Um, so I was, at that time, I was listening to a lot of Messiaen. Mm-hmm. Uh, heavy and that, stuff. That was like, yeah, right. heavy stuff. But, uh, but you know, I, it was actually also through the Oldfield connection that I got to uh, uh, listen to music like uh, David Bedford. I'm not sure if you aware of the I've heard the composer. name, but uh, not... not, not yeah, it's just, just like really, really out there, contemporary classical, but really okay. wonderful music. And so I, I was already very familiar with uh, contemporary classical and, and kind of like out there music somehow right and i had already been writing uh music even for like from my guitar orchestra and stuff so but then that that made that made discovering king crimson via the discipline album even more powerful because like i said it was i heard this music and i thought okay that's there are actually people out there that do what i want to do yeah. right right that's Which, an, but, yeah but it yeah. also because i will say uh, uh, this record does uh does rock pretty hard too especially at times it rocks so that must have been something like new for you not like your normal stuff to listen to i mean obviously it's not well, the sound of a, a traditional rock band but uh but it does uh, have it, a heaviness it, to it it rocks yeah yes. it does it, i think it rocks rock much more than regular rock music. Of course, you do. <laughs> it's, it's heavier. No, I really, I really believe that it's kind of like well, the way that Bill Bruford. A, this you know, record, Bill especially, yeah. right, right. Well, uh, Bill Bruford, and yeah. also very interesting. I guess, I guess, I don't know whose um, recommendation it was, but that he really doesn't use symbols, many symbols. Well, on I this. don't believe it was a recommendation. The story is Robert took away the symbols. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it was yeah. more. Of a and he took away the symbols, and he had been gun using the Simmons electronic drums, and. Um, the sound of the record is uh, they and they made this group made obviously they made other albums after this they made two more studio albums and then there's a, some live recordings yeah but this album in particular is a is a is a a marker in the king crimson history i think if i had to go through i'd say the court of the crimson king is one mm-hmm. and then maybe lark's tongues and aspic and then red and then discipline are are like they're just sort of you know like uh stones in the road of king crimson where you go oh well there's there's that because this album has a sound and an undercurrent um that is not like any of the other albums it's yeah well there's so much shit going on just just by the fact that you got the guitar besides robert fripp which obviously he's got his style but you got adrian Apilou, yeah. who who was making his guitar sound like animals yes. and and all, and these crazy using you know using pedals and effects, but really uh, different than you anyone. know than anyone else. Yeah, was he at that changed. Time. Adrian, 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 his guitar playing on a few records totally changed. Um, and Marcus, I don't know whether you're, you know you you are younger. He changed the way guitar was thought about in the 1980s. And so yep. there, you will hear records from 1983 and 1984, 1985, records by pop pop groups, basically, um, that they will have a guitar solo on it where you say, oh, that's that guy was doing, he was doing his Adrian Ballou. 
impersonation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Because it was so shocking to people that this guy was making these sounds. It was so different. Um, and that it, 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 uh, it, there was a shift. And we talked about um, a few weeks ago, you, you're going to laugh, but this was the same thing happened when Eddie Van Halen appeared on the American oh, yeah. scene. Oh, yeah, no, no, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it Marcus was, is probably rolling his eyes. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't think you can really, you can compare Eddie and Adrian. No, they're not. I think like Adrian's impact is, is, is like way beyond that, I find. Well, it depends on yeah. what, what, if you're yeah. talking about American rock and roll yeah. guitar, yeah. Eddie, Eddie Van Halen was like a bomb going off. Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't yeah. say he influenced good guitar players who became good. We're just saying he influenced a lot yeah. of guitar players. That, that's and it. That, is, that's, okay. that is the distinction. He, he made, created a lot of <laughs> shitty, you know, thousands of shitty guitar players. <laughs> who were imitating Eddie Van Halen. Who were trying, yeah, but trying yes, to imitate him. But yeah. yes, Adrian's guitar playing was a whole Well, different... it's just expanded because it, it expands people's minds. All right, now, now, Marcus, since you were brutally honest at the beginning, I'm going to be brutally honest with you because I, I was, I remember this record when it came out in uh, in 81 and my dear friend, the the late, great uh, Dan Hosker, uh, introduced me to it and he played it and I could, and I fucking hated this. <laughs> right? Really? I oh, yeah. did and I'll, I'll tell you what I did and now revisit and this is when I'm, when I was revisiting it now, I was almost getting triggered at times because I'm like, oh, I remember that but I definitely hear it with new ears now. I think at the time I was into... I was into punk rock and I was into my own thing, but it just sounded to me like uh, stunt playing, almost like stunt playing, uh. almost like there was too much going on and too much like it was all about. And, and it almost, you know, there are some prog music I like, but a lot of prog music just sounds like it's just people being overly, you know, overly... Um, too many notes. Too many notes for no reason. Mm-hmm. And there's no real melody buried or, or uh, song, you know, song craft. So I didn't get that, and especially in the record. See, for me, the record's not sequenced good because my two least favorite are the first two songs. Oh, really? They are, yeah. And, and oh. so that's why. And then I realized, but let's but let's just start getting it because. But I have softened over the years. I will tell you, Marcus. Yeah, I'm not a. Just, I'm not as big a hater as I was. Yeah, just so you know, Marcus. Yeah, this is <laughs> then, yeah, that, yeah, that is yeah, entirely yeah. The, my co-host opinion and not mine. So. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I I know, and I've heard, and over the years, I always have uh, musician friends. They always this this is a and touchstone. The, and the so he, many, the person who introduced him to the album had had much better taste oh, than yeah, he does. Uh, than me. Well, most people do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, Rob, yeah, you want? Yeah, do you want? Do you want my opinion on that? Oh, sure, absolutely, go. of course. I'm, I I I totally can understand why people don't get it, and and especially back then, because it didn't didn't use any. I say any, with one exception, Matakuta size, the only track that used any. Cliches. Yeah, they were already around. Yeah, that's true. Everything else was just was just the way it was written. It didn't. They didn't use any standard chords or chord voicings. Right. They they were using like more of an orchestral kind of writing with three parts and drums or four parts for that matter. Yes. And 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 the vocals and and the sound effects. So (laughs) it's kind of like it's something that people just just didn't know what to make of. There's no you have no no reference point. You have no reference point. Yeah, yeah, and harmonically, it's really it's really something that in this way hasn't been out there at all. It's more the way the the, the, the scales and stuff. If you had a Philip Glass record, you might have had some sort of introduction to the kinds of 
the interlocking uh, interlocking parts, parts and mm-hmm. parts that mm-hmm. looped their parts one part that loops yeah. over another part and then comes yes. back together but yeah. but that's modern classical that's not rock and roll so that yeah. for, for for rock and roll this was brand new yes. it was <laughs> and i mean i don't know if you're into this kind of stuff but i'm saying it anyway so for example frips in the beginning of elephant talk the 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 stick plays tritones right on the high the register which is a c uh, f sharp and c and g sharp and d mm-hmm. okay so there's g sharp and f sharp and robert plays a part that goes where the melody goes b a g so you have three adjacent half steps yes. in the intro of elephant talk yes. this is something that in pop music or in uh, or, or any kind of popular music yes. you never hear that yes and and that's the opening of the record well let's listen now you meant that's a good point so before we forget what you just said let's listen to the beginning the opening track listen to a little bit of elephant talk Yes, Tony's playing something that is um, in the high register on the stick. That is, yeah, t- tritones or or flighted fifths, and then Robert is playing a, a uh, melody that's like pentatonic up underneath it. Uh, yes. And the only other, I, I know what you're saying about there being these adjacent half tones, half steps. And there's a track, there's a James Brown song where I, when I pointed out to people who understand music theory is has the same thing where there's um one guitar that's playing a minor key riff and another guitar is playing a a ninth chord so it's got you have a major third and then you have a a second and the ninth chord and a major and a a, or a and a major third and then you have a horn the horn section is playing a a melody that's entirely just major scale melody so you have all of these things like you would never it works although if you played it all at once it would sound like someone banging their keys all smashed together on the on the keyboard so Mm -hmm. it's all in how it's the the space between the notes uh becomes is more important (laughs) than the notes that are being played also the the one there's go ahead there's there's another kc kc and the sunshine band do you remember oh of course course. they're from here yeah 
So that's the way I like it. If you really need to listen to it closely to realize that the track is in is in C minor, but the bass player plays C and B underneath. Oh, and it's oh. the same. It's the same. It's the same kind of thing. Tension. It has, yeah, it has the tension with the the major seventh and the minor seventh yes. in it. We should it's not really, mention really cool. that that bass player is now in prison. <laughs> Oh, oh, really? oh yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't mention that. No. Yeah. yeah, we okay. we'll let everyone look that up for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Now so, the, the my, thing about this song, I, I want to say the vocabulary that is that had been introduced by someone else is Adrian's vocal style on this is very much akin to David Byrne, and because yes. he had been working with Talking Heads before right, this, right, yeah. And so there's that. Um, Clearly, he picked up some. He was picked influenced. up the way David, you know, the way David expresses himself um, in right. this sort of matter of fact, odd way. Yes, and that I will say that was a big. That's what the initial thing that turned me off to this was his singing. Oh, okay. Especially, mm-hmm. and and now yeah. when I'm uh, when I revisit and listen to it, I, I don't mind it nearly as much now. I don't know what it is, and I'm actually into what he's like. Before just saying, oh, what is he just throwing out these different, uh, uh, you know, uh, synonyms, uh, yeah, yeah, synonyms sure. for talk. But then I realize, oh, it's pretty clever because they do A's. He's going through the alphabet, and then when he gets to D, he even he even breaks the fourth wall and goes, these are words with a D this time. You know, <laughs> debates, discussion. So it actually mm-hmm. is pretty clever. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just a hater maybe then. But um, well, I should all I should mention, Marcus. I'm sure you're aware of this too. That um, there was. Amongst King Crimson fans, there were fans who there was a great contingent of fans who despised Adrian Ballou. Oh, probably because those are the ones that probably loved the early. Uh, they King loved Crimson, the early King Crimson yeah, and didn't and never um, were never warmed to his style yeah, or his. I could see that yeah. because it is he does bring to the band a very different energy. He brings a very American uh, sort of Midwestern American energy. To a band mm-hmm. that is very before that was very right. much European and right. very because him and Tony was Tony the other Tony's, American yeah, too yeah. yes so let, let me ask you Marcus how long after you heard this did you actually go out and get a a stick a Chapman stick um, that was just well you know when I went I went to that course with Fripp in ninety one in the summer and I talked to him about the stick in a personal meeting and um, he basically su- suggested that I, that I should try one and and I, I contacted Trey Gunn like in the end of 92 I think I actually called Trey when he was in the studio with Fripp and Sylvian oh, um, wow yeah and yeah I called Applehead Studios in Woodstock I think it was <laughs> yes and and I, I, I Trey had a spare stick that he sold to me for a thousand bucks and uh, that's when and how I got started, like in early 93. Wow, wow that's cool. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I see people, I still don't understand how that thing even works. I watch people playing it and it looks impossible. I, I had one. <laughs> I bought one and played it for, for a year. Yeah, oh, actually, I, I should know that. The, the, this, we haven't gone into any of this. We'll go into it very briefly. But Marcus, your first course was in 91. Um, yeah. I went to a guitar craft course in um, January of 1992. And that was the mm-hmm. last. Did you? Yeah, that was the last course at Claymont. It was a level one. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, I uh, came home to Orlando and I sold. I had a, a 1961 Fender Jazzmaster. I sold that mm-hmm. and bought a Chapman stick. And I played that for maybe a year and a half, two years. Oh, I never knew anything. And this. then I was at a friend's house and she had a, um, a gold top Les Paul. 
And I picked it up and I started playing it and I realized I'm not a Chapman stick player. I'm a guitar player. (laughs) Right. And I sold the stick and went back to playing guitar with not, with not really not looking backwards. Um, It is an entirely different way of thinking about and doing and playing because I I don't think anybody is born a stick player. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's sort of percussive. It it adds a percussive element to this, to the strings, right? But it's also pianistic because you have both hands free. You can do whatever you want as long as you with. All right. So let's get, uh, let's get into the, if if anyone thought, if if people who aren't familiar with it thought that was crazy, uh, syncopated, crazy, listen to this next one with this super fast, crazy syncopation that feels almost to me, it feels musically impossible to me. It almost sounds like I can't believe people are playing this, but let's do a little bit of frame by frame. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't, I, I realized what happened to me originally. Initially, I couldn't get past that intro part. I actually like the song once he comes in and sings, and I, I actually like it. I like the uh, the lyrics are about sort of like someone drowning in their own uh, over analysis, like obsessive over Yes, mental, mental thoughts yeah. overwhelming And years. it's good, but I just, I guess I just, it was too, for, for my little brain at the time, Marcus, it was just too much for me. Well, <laughs> uh, I believe you. And, 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 and Robert Robert's playing on that is... Is absolutely. I can't still even play if I just tap out with both hands. I still can't tap out with both hands as fast as he is playing the yeah. notes in that. And he had been, he had a, he had been working up to that kind of thing for a couple of years, where there was on his, um, he had a, a record called Under Heavy Manners, where yeah. he played. It's like fifteen minutes. And he yep. plays this guitar, this this guitar riff that, um, which is this, basically the same. It's very similar yeah. riff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that he plays, and he, it's, it's a, a um, not something that 
I can comprehend or can uh, even... Well, it, it almost seems like something that you can't even think about because it's too, you just sort of... Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if it's... It, cere- I mean, in, in one hand, it sounds very cerebral, but maybe it's not because it's very primal. Well, it's a very physical... It, and it's very primal in, in, its, uh, in the way it's done too, right? I mean, if you, if you guys have or had a, a personal uh, practice, let's say, if you were practicing guitar every day, this would be easy. Oh, really? I hate to say it. Yeah, well, it's not easy, but it's something that's very well in reach if you if you practice. I I think you for know, you, Marcus, I think that is true. Barry, maybe you could, Barry. Maybe one hundred percent no. When and, and I will say, <laughs> and I am a guitar player. When when Bar- Barry Stock is a guitarist um, in the mid nineteen eighties, yes, I could play things that were very fast. And, oh, okay. But there yeah. are certain physical um, limitations that do arise yeah. over time. And um, I'll be frank, I lost interest in playing guitar in a, in fast, and I got a lot more interested in playing guitar um, uh, I would say in a way that was there was a direct connection between my uh, emotive, emotive, in a more emotive sense. Playing is very emotive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I and think there's was... there's quite a difference here, though. This is this is actually a part in the song. Right. Yes. Exactly. It's not. You're right. it ha- it's, you're not right. it's not somebody playing fast. If you yes. know what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, his idea was that it's a gamelan, a Javanese or a Balinese gamelan. He was a rock and roll gamelan, and a gamelan is these people playing bells, basically. Or, and it's very percussive, and they have this. Um, um, some of it is yes, is is blindingly fast. But the syncopation of them and the way they intertwine is what makes is what makes it right. And yeah. that's kind of like what they were doing with. Well, this, this band. thing does right. Well, he yeah. does things where you know Marcus. I'm Marcus. Will know what I'm talking yeah. about. Where there's a part in five, and then there's a part in seven, and those parts will you have to play the five part seven times and the seven part five times, but you also have to pay attention to your part in the midst of that to not get lost and lose when what's happening. So there's an aspect to this band that relates to Robert's own um, spiritual um, practice. And his own connection with a, a man named J.G. Bennett, and with uh, J.G. Bennett's connection with a man named um, Gurdjieff. So there's a there's a thing going on that's not necessarily apparent on the surface of this album. That if you investigate, and Guitarcraft is a way to investigate that, is that there's something different going on that's not just just a rock and roll band and people playing this crazy rock and roll music does that sound yeah but yeah but if we're just let's if we're just talking about the music let's say and and without the uh, the background that Fripp has you could say that there are certain compositional devices that that are being used that 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 kind of are, are kind of are based in this idea of a deeper listening yes where where it's possible to listen to uh, indep- you know, parts independently, and this yes. is what's rec- happening on this record quite a bit. And so, just this intro—that's just a just a simple phrase of six on top of a bar four four. It's nothing special, really. It's like done everywhere else. But in this in this context, then what where Bruford plays that 
that yeah. snare at the end of the beat of the, of the bar, like slightly late. Yes. And 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 like all these these elements, like there there are some tape loops in the back with Adrian's vocals, and then the uh, like the, uh, the chords that he's strumming, and then he's strumming the like above the uh, above the nut, mm-hmm. and right. you're getting all these crazy sounds, and it's the combination of that that. And maybe Rob, that's what kind of like put you off. It's that jagged rhythm, and yeah, uh, it, I, yeah, you I know. think it gave me anxiety almost. <laughs> but, yeah. but no, but, I see what you're saying. There's a deep, you sort of have to listen to it. I, I don't know. It's almost like you can't over listen to it. You got it. It's beautiful what they're doing, but it's just different. Like you said, it's so different than a, tra- a traditional rock and roll road that I'm yeah. used to. It yeah. takes yeah. yeah th- th- there's yeah. definitely a uh, curve. There's a, a, a lot. A there's curve. a lot. There's a lot that you can learn from this record. And I've, every time I hear this record, I've heard it. I don't want to say thousands of times, but I've heard this record many, 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 many it's times. Beautiful. It's really a beautiful piece there's of work. You, uh, you, there's, there's, it was like he, um, a lot of things that Robert had been working on for a long time kind of yeah. coalesced into one, into one recording. And that's how I feel about this album. Yeah, I mean that's that's Robert's part, but you should never forget that we're four people. Oh yeah, and I oh, think, no, I yeah. think they all br- brought like uh, like even even amounts of uh, yes. innovation into this yeah. band. Oh and, yeah, and, and, and that's and, what made this album so great. Right? right, and we also should mention me and Barry. We always like to point out uh, on records whether people are individually uh, get song credit or the whole band, and and to their credit, everyone in the band has equal credits for all the songs. Yeah, which yes. is yeah. good. Which is always a good thing to see because it, it shows. It is, yeah. and the um, it shows maybe egos. Which I'm although I'm sure there are plenty of egos involved. Whatever. Well, if, but, there's always egos in a rock band yeah, yeah, or yeah. in a rock and people on in a in a driving around playing shows um every night yeah but there's yeah that the contribution of everyone yeah without every member of this group is an integral part of that sound it's equally divided there's no yeah. there's no person that you could remove and have it work or be the exactly. same at least it wouldn't be, the, be same, the same right? because yeah. um and he did the membership did shift over time and obviously right. now adrian is not part of it and he has a huge Ensemble, or he did before this. Um, you know the, right. the the current events overwhelmed mm-hmm. that. Um, All right, so ironically, let's do one more song before we take a break. But ironically, the song that Marcus said is the most cliche is the one that I like the most. <laughs> Maddie, well, you know, like Woody Allen says, uh, the, doesn't the, uh, the heart me, wants Rob. what the heart wants. <laughs> But it, but it is a it is a beautiful song. I guess it's mine because I, I just feel like it's kind of very tragically beautiful and uh, uh, just the, his singing is really good on it. So listen to Mate. How is it pronounced? Mate Kudasai. Mate Kudasai.
like the rain that's falling She waits in the air I'll take you to So beautiful, it is. <laughs> and those, I'll tell you, those may be cliche lyrics, but they're really good lyrics. Where he says, oh. "Still, still by the window pane, pain like the rain that's falling." Mm-hmm. She waits in the air, mate kudasai. She sleeps in a chair in her sad America. I mean, that's beautiful, Marcus. You may know more about this than than I do or Rob does. Is um, as far as the the way the lyrics of a King Crimson song would come about when Adrian was in the band. Was were the lyrics just his? Were was were he, or was there back and forth about the um, about the lyrical content? Or, or, or do you any idea how that worked? Um, yeah. As far as I know, it was it was Adrian's Adrian's words. Okay, um, but I'm pretty sure that Robert communicated in one way or another. If he liked something or not, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Robert presents himself not as the leader of King Crimson, but as the only constant member, and as a, and as his role is one of quality controller. That's how I've seen him put it over the years. Obviously, band members would have said, including you know, one that I, uh, one band member who passed away that. I, I was mm-hmm. friends with said, you know, Robert says that, but it, it's Robert's band. So from mm-hmm. the perception of, you know, it, 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 it's, um, it depends on who, who you want to, uh, whose perspective you want to take it, uh, at which time that whether it's Robert's band or whether he's just a, a constant member. I, I mean, I, I, I just tell you that I've had only positive experiences with Robert. Um, it's also because I don't. I have never really met him in a professional context. I was like I said, he was my instructor in guitar craft, and like I remember the the very first time I saw it on that on that course, I met him on the corridor uh, at the evening before the the course actually started, mm-hmm. and he was walking there, and he had his uh, his uh, like his night nightgown on or something. Right. And I asked him, Robert, what are you doing here? And he said to me, I'm going for a piss. <laughs> that was the very first thing he ever oh, said to nice. me. And, and, and somehow that was, the I would say, the beginning of of our just, like, relationship. Yes. Uh, which is just, I never, I never felt him to be uh, intimidating. I, I thought he was very nice with me. And... Uh, but I hear from a lot of people that they're intimidated by him, and I think that's also that something that maybe, in a way, triggers him to not feel good. Oh and, right, right, and yeah. so so it's yeah. kind of like a vicious circle. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't want to talk for him. But a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Like, he was always very nice to me, but maybe I can just, also see. You're just so I, charming, Marcus, that he couldn't help but be charmed by you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just. I think I was just naive, and I didn't didn't really know who he was. And, right, and right. I, I right. think I and, think that works. That probably worked to your benefit. 
Yeah, it did. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he really, I think, like, he taught me so much. It's incredible. Right. He taught me so much in just a few meetings, really. And and it's it's just, I'm I'm so grateful. Well, that's I'm good so to hear. Grateful. Yeah, and yeah. you would say he yeah. also probably changed the... Uh, trajectory of your musical life right oh yeah yeah 100%. <laughs> for sure right, right for sure yeah. i mean i'm not sure if you, if you guys are aware but i played five of these pieces five or seven pieces of this record yes i played them over 120 times yes oh, yeah that's right i did yeah. I, was, I know so i, was I have a very close rabbit hole there's a lot there's a lot of stuff very, on there. very close <laughs> relation there uh, right. a connection there and and also one that wasn't that wasn't easy for me right, right like right. i mean do i want to do i want to take the role of my friend in in a band really i i i it was awkward yeah well, it really it really was awkward shoe, uh, those are big shoes yeah. well fill. he has <laughs> been um he has been supportive verbally and publicly of people playing the music that he was not at the time interested in playing um, yeah. So oh, probably and, as long as it was done and well. I'm I, I, sure. I will, and this is something I, I probably need to get off my chest um, and mm-hmm. say is that for me, the Adrian Ballou period of the band was the period of the band that I was interested in, mm-hmm. and that after Adrian was no longer involved, um, it did not. I wasn't drawn to the the new um, the yeah. new arrangement in any way and I that's purely personal purely my thing but it turns out that whatever Adrian had brought to the band that energy that he had was my in to that that's that band and that and that because I'm very I'm very American and I'm very I'm uh, very recognizably my attitudes and my uh, uh, um, way of thinking are American, and so when he was no longer part of it, I um, it just was it just kind of fell away. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's that, you know. And I, I that's and there are people who talk about the new group, which is you know tremendous. I've seen live footage; it's tremendous. But uh, oddly enough, for me, it, that just doesn't it doesn't. Compute. So, so yeah. that's my personal I, I, confession. I, of the I day. hear you. That's 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 like there are a lot of people that, or I know a lot of people that think this way as well, and I get I get it. Um, uh, it but it's you could just say it's just an, just a different iteration of the band, and it it speaks to different people. It, and it does for me. For me. For me, it was that what was like a little bit sad for me was that because I've I felt so connected to the music. More so than to the band. Yes. Okay? I, I I want I want them to be uh, successful. Yes. And I want them to successfully uh, continue the legacy of what I feel when I listen to that music. And I like like everything up to the new uh, uh, incarnation. Right. Yeah. So 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 um, so I like when I go to a show, I have a hard time just enjoying really because I yes. hear the things in the arrangement or in the setup that I think could be better. You know too <laughs> you much. Know, it, you know just, too just, much. Yeah, but in a way, that's also like some sort of arrogance on my mm, part. It's one artist, you're, and you've experienced the music from the inside because mm-hmm. you played it 120 times. And yeah. you will, you know, these these compositions, 
And yes, I, I, I don't think it's... I just think it's simply... Sometimes in some situations, you you know too much, and yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. there's no way to not know too much uh, once you do. It's just that's yeah. that's that's the way it is, and so I don't think there's any shame in that. You know, there are certain pieces that really rely on having like the bass part being distorted, for example. Sure. Or on having like a power cord sitting somewhere. Right. Like thinking about the str- track Starless. Now with the new band. Like at the the climax of the song, the, that power chord is not there. This mm. is just like one simple example, mm. and I, and but like three people are playing the same melody, right? And and so I'm that's and then I'm just wondering. I mean, I would I would like to come to you and embrace you all and say how great you are, but mm. please play the power <laughs> chord. There Someone play that goddamn like, power chord. <laughs> yeah, it's and and this is this is you know and and you see like my my motivation is complete because I want I want the whole, the thing to be great. I right, want, exactly. Want, want, yeah. want yes. King Crimson to continue with uh, this great legacy and 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 so that's why like it has been difficult for me to enjoy the new incarnation as much as the others. Yes, and it's it's but it's. Um, even though I was very close to Adrian when this happened, that he got like the email that he's just the Adrian the, was uh, fired. Seventh, we should just the, say it was he was yeah. basically fired fired by email. Well, he was. I wouldn't say that. I think he was demoted. That's maybe a better word to say. Oh. That. He was, and there yeah, that he could was, even yeah. be worse. <laughs> yeah, it could be worse. Exactly. Right? And it there were yeah. some. Yeah. There was some things that came from someone at the record label. Some things that were said publicly that were not i don't think helpful to the situation um in and when i that was that was left a very I, i'll be frank that left a very sour taste in my mouth as well and is one of the reasons that i don't really listen to the new incarnation was that hey, uh there were some communications hey, that should have been private that became yeah, public. yeah of course but just think about it i mean if 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 like some people say even though robert doesn't say it but some people say robert is the is the band or is the band leader yeah and he makes this call that he decided decides he wants to have a different band not with adrian right like like after 33 years yeah. of being in a band with adrian like it can only go wrong right right there's yeah, there's yeah. there's no way to communicate that <laughs> exactly yeah you're right you're right uh, no so, there's no so good it, way for that to happen and there's nothing yeah, yeah and there's nothing but wrong there's, with there may be a better on. bad way for it to happen <laughs> it's yeah i don't know i don't know but i i certainly understand adrian and his grief and uh sure and even though i think that adrian is also uh, a sort of a black sheep kind of person yeah in that regard he was all always like I get I think as interested in his solo career as he was in King Crimson. I think so. So right, right. Yeah. so 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 I understand also that maybe he he didn't appear to be as committed as the others. Right. So th- that may have had an influence. I don't know. But yeah, but it, I well, do there, understand that was some of the things that came that was some of the things that came out. It were there were some bitter recriminations on on both sides and it was unfortunate. I just felt like it was sort of shoddy of the whole thing was just sort of not unnecessarily um, dirty laundry ish. So we should move on to the next. We track. should. Well, actually, no. Let's take a. This is a good point to take a little break uh, okay. before we get into any bitter, any more bitter. No more bitter recriminations <laughs> after uh, yeah, this. Yeah, let's take a little break. Uh, we'll uh, refresh our coffee. I don't know. What are you drinking, Marcus? It's it's afternoon here, so we're drinking coffee. But uh, you're it's later uh, there, right? So are you drinking anything stronger, or are you what? Do you, what do you? Uh, 
No, 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 no. I'll leave no, it to I, you. I'm not, I'm not going to sell you. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. That's fine. Wow. That. That's no great. Leave, leave that it makes to it even more interesting. Leave it to our so imagination. Imagine. All right. But yeah. we'll be back uh, in a minute with Marcus Reuter. We're talking about Discipline by King Grimson. This is That Record Got Me. I will be back in a minute. Is This Tomorrow is a weekly webcomic which succinctly captures the ongoing cataclysmic implosion of our 244-year-old democracy at the hands of idiotic hillbillies and people who make used car salesmen seems like candidates for sainthood. Each week Woody and Kelly make good use of eight panels of illustrations to demonstrate that, in fact, we are not going to be getting those flying cars and robot maids from the Jetsons, but we may in fact be getting the kind of supercharged action seen in 1984 and World War Z combined. Just remember, as heavily armed, unidentified government agents unlawfully detain lawful protesters on the streets of Portland, Oregon, you can go to isthistomorrow.com to have a few laughs and take your mind off of the hillbilly apocalypse. Once again, go to isthistomorrow.com, isthistomorrow.com, be safe, and be well. I am drinking your secret, uh, your whatever or you're doing, or yep. your secret, uh, <laughs> my, my secret stash. It's here. funny. Our guest last, uh, our last guest that the episode just came out. He was he was not shy at all, letting us know he was smoking uh, yes. a big bowl. Lots of lots of. He was a heavy, yeah, partaker of a weed, and yeah, apparently. He was. He was, uh, you would never know by talking no, to him. No, you wouldn't know. I guess he just needed it just to be normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do this. All right. We are back. This is That Record Got Me High. That's Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. All right. And we're talking to Marcus Reuter about a record that literally changed the course of his musical life. I yes. would say that's, that's not even... And there's no understatement Hyperbole. There. No, that's not hyperbole. All right. We're talking about Discipline, uh, and we're on the fourth song, which is uh, called Indiscipline. That's right. And uh, it's like uh, this percussive. This is a very percussive one with the spoken uh, vocals on it, and apparently the lyrics were partially taken from a letter that Adrian Belou's wife had written him about a painting that she had done. And he, mm-hmm. what he did was he took the lines and he sort of just mixed them up and took them out of context. He used a, a William Burroughs cut up technique, yes, to yes. cut up and, and rearrange the effect uh, and very to a very effective end, I would say. And let's listen yes. to a little bit of.
I do remember one thing. It took hours and hours, and by the time I was done with it, I was so involved, I didn't know what to think. I carried it around with me for days and days, playing little games, like not looking at it for a whole day, and then looking at it to see if I still liked it. I did! So this track is uh, the id, the King Crimson id, uh, as as the uh, off the um, much more the chaos and uh, it's all, it's very organized, but it's also very aggressive and yeah. very uh, and and I'm realizing it's very ahead of its time. This came out in 1981, very ahead of its time. I could picture like Radiohead, something like this being on a Radiohead sure. record in the 90s sure. or something. Sure, know? so very ahead of its time. So, um, did you did was indiscipline part of the one of the tracks that you guys you played when yeah. you were yeah I, I, I assume yeah so. with the Crimson Project yeah. yeah and we played it with Stickman also as yeah. a trio yeah it's I mean the funny thing here is that track uh, you know track three and four Matikuda Sai and Indiscipline they are both both shuffles <laughs> right? oh really and with, yeah. with with indis with Indiscipline you hardly notice it it's because a five, it sounds it's so alien five, it's, yeah yeah. Yeah, but it's well, it's it's in four four with a right, baseline with a baseline in five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's it's but it's a shuffle, and I I still find that kind of fascinating. But I really love this original version so much. Um, first of all, because it's just a little more, it sounds more, um, still more futuristic yes. than any live version. The live version are. are sort of like normalized in a way oh, also yes. because I, I love Adrian's delivery here which is oh. sounds tired and and down you know yeah, I, I really yes. like that much better than the more uh, stressed out version that <laughs> well, he does he's live. also he's also gets he's very close to the bike and so yeah. when he's reading it it's like he's right there with you reading the yeah. Yeah. the words yeah. well uh, yeah marcus yeah. i was going to ask you as someone that's obviously so into the music and musician but did you do you are you still and obviously i mean you're, you're interested in in what he's singing in the lyrics but how how much do you like dig into that too as far as the, the lyrics and the singing and everything is, is is it just do you just take it all as a whole yeah i just take it as a whole i mean especially since english is not my mother language you know oh, right. so yeah, it's it's right. it's really it's really something uh, something that for me always comes second, right? Like yeah. you know, okay. I, I I soak in the atmosphere right. first well, that's before the, I yeah. ask myself. Oh, that I guess that's what some of you guys do as well, where you don't pay attention to the it, words, you just listen oh, to the sound. Right? A lot, yeah. and and that's why yeah. it's so important. Sometimes it's just the delivery and the cadence of something. You don't even have to know what they're saying, but you yeah, get exactly. you get what they're saying. But, but doing this show, yeah. we have. I've come 
much more to appreciate the what's going on than there in the lyrics. Because, oh yeah, because yeah. there's yeah. It, it's just one more, and uh, there's something very interesting because I think this is obviously his wife describing what she painted, but it seems like it's also just could describe any attempt. Like at what we're doing is we're analyzing this music. And it says, no matter how closely I study it, no matter how yeah, exactly. I take it apart, no matter how I'll break it down, it remains consistent. It remains consistent, yeah. yeah I, it's, I wish it's you self, were here to it's see self-referential. It. Yes, self-referential. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's and that's that's what I like about Adrian and his humor and his lyrics. And and I mean, in a way, you, you need to think, I, I think of this album as, as sort of like, like a concept album in the real sense. Yeah, where there are musical concepts like you know, oh, okay. like no no symbols, right. Yes, and, right? And 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 Adrian applying certain techniques to writing yes. lyrics, and 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 this is really um, something that maybe on later releases releases got got more, uh, um, I don't know. Um, yeah. Not so fresh anymore. Okay, well, but on this, on this, yes, exactly. Yeah, but on well, this record, it's it's just perfect. Well, that's I the think thing. It's, you it's can really only a perfect do a record. record like this once, really, right? Yes. Because you don't want yeah. to do it again. You don't want you to can't do it yourself. again. Yeah. yeah so uh, so and, and yeah. apparently, apparently the so- the the songs, the gr- good songs that there that are on beat, were actually written at the same time as the. He's right for uh, discipline. As uh, far yeah, as yeah. The, okay, ne- okay. the recording, yeah. the, rec- the next album they they did beat. Their recording of it was very. I, my understanding is it was very difficult, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of uh, um, there was disagreement about how it was going to sound. Oh, and uh, uh, <laughs> well, you know, you well. That's what Marcus said. You there's this. You have this true concept album where all of these new ideas all come together and they work right yeah. it all works and it makes this work frankly work of art like this yes. is this is a work of art what do you do next and what mm-hmm. what, what, you, what do you do next is going to be referencing this work of art that you just did and it's difficult to you know th- that's the second album blues which is a, a, a common you know thing that's done yeah. in rock and roll yeah. as, you yeah. Know, yeah 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 all right, so we were talking about the Talking Heads. Adrian Ballou was touring with the Talking Heads. This next one is obviously the most obvious Talking Heads uh, influence, um, and it's some interesting. Uh, why, um, why do you Why do you think so? Delahun Ginjit. Oh, just because yeah, because it sounds like it could be on Remain, Remain in, in Light. light. Yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. like a Remain yeah, in Light. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess it's that mm-hmm. um, that. Um, uh, um, a percussive African yes, type uh, exactly. cadence yeah. that's going I, I on. I agree. I think that this one, um, I mean, Adrian's stint with the and, talking And also heads. the way he's singing it, too. Yeah, it's the, the, it's the, I guess it's the harmony vocal that you are that you really mean. Because there's there's actually two people singing, Tony and, right, and Adrian. Right. Oh, that's and right. Tony is singing and, on this and one, that, too. That and sounds, that sounds a little bit like the... The like the backing vocals, right? Oh, sure. Line, yeah. I actually, Marcus, I had never thought of that. Yeah, I didn't. But either, uh, that's true. <laughs> you're right. All right, so let's listen to a little bit yeah. of Dela Hun Ginjit. Dela Hun Ginjit.
Well, first of all, I couldn't even see his face. I couldn't see his face. He was holding a gun again. Um, I was thinking, this is a dangerous place. Well, this is a dangerous place. So, Rob, do you know what Thela Hun Jindit means? Well, it's an anagram of heat in the jungle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is, it shows what, uh, Marcus, what you were saying about how um, Robert Fripp would have uh, input because uh, I guess Adrian Ballou had told him, oh, I'm thinking of a song and it's called uh, Heat in the Jungle. And, and Robert said, I don't like that title. <laughs> so what's the solution to that? Just scramble the letters. Just scramble the letters around until <laughs> he got one that fit good in the song. Yeah. And um, it's, a rec- it, the, it's a story about Adrian being... Um, Accosted by thugs outside this Not only thugs. First he's accosted by thugs, and then what happens? Then then he gets accosted by policemen and accused of being... Uh, uh, holding drugs. Oh, so I thought it was the thugs were accusing him of being like no, an no, undercover I policeman. Think the, the thugs accuse him of being an undercover policeman, and then the policemen grab him and accuse him of having yeah. drugs. Poor Adrian. <laughs> it's a it's a palindrome of bad experiences. Right, right. Um, and 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 Robert Fripp had the genius when he came in the studio to tell the guy to uh, record this, record this, record this right, story. Yeah, and he's telling and the story about it's being great. Out. It's really great. And New York, uh, that was in New York. I think that happened, right? No, uh, London. Oh, it was, it was in London. London. Okay, but originally the London, song yeah. it was inspired. He was writing about John, like John Lennon, because yeah. uh, John Lennon when he was Adrian Blue was on tour and they were Talking Heads and they found out John, John Lennon had been was killed. Shot. Yeah. So originally it was about New York, but this happened in London. Yeah. Well, and this one rhythmically, yeah, and it it does um, it does fit in the um, you remain in light sort of the way that the. Um, it's the most African sounding of the uh, the most you know uh, Fela influenced sounding thing that's yeah, yeah. on here, and um, that's also why it has Fela in the title, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, funny how that works. <laughs> yes. Um, um, hey, so so there's there's something special here. Like I think with every or any great piece of art, and I'm talking about the whole album here, there's there's themes that kind of like. Um, repeat um, you know more than one time yeah. throughout and and so here Thela just starts in a way almost exactly like frame by frame yes yeah it's just it's just a different groove different chord uh, Robert is playing in seven now over right, four right and not in six and yeah. and, 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 and then this, the, the the harmony shifts in, in like uh, from a minor key to another minor key a minor third yep. up Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of it's kind of similar, and, yes. and I, I really like that. And like for example, indiscipline and discipline have the same riff also. <laughs> yeah? Yes, the, the, but the bass riff of indiscipline. But they're very bass. different pieces. Very different. Yeah, pieces. exactly, exactly. And I kind of like that that there's this thematic cohesion to the whole thing. Yes. And um, and and this is this is something that. Uh, you know, also the sound, like like Barry, you said that there were like the Simmons drums on this, but yes. I think this is this is still completely acoustic. This I think you're like right. Roto, yeah, Roto, I Roto you're Toms right. and I don't know yeah. how they're called, but I, these yeah. higher pitched 
pitch drums. I think and, Rota, yeah, Roto Toms. I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. Listening to it, I realized when I was I was like, you know, I don't hear the Simmons drums. That was on the next record, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, life, life, life. I think that. What happens with this? With the next record, and I think the one after that, I think it becomes. I think Adrian's songwriting is integrated in this particular unit in this particular album in a way that becomes somewhat problematic after this where it becomes obvious oh this is this is an he has there are adrian songs that are become obviously adrian songs and Mm -hmm. i I think that was a bone of contention as my guess on the next record where there was some things that just sounded like um adrian baloo material and mm-hmm. it was not necessarily King Crimson material, and, yeah. and Robert might but have had I, to take an issue. But with I that. still, I still believe that those ideas could have been developed better. Though I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say. But I, I, any way, I wasn't there. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that um, it's kind of Adrian's fault. No, no. I think no. That, that that he brought in ideas where there was no resonance. Yes. Um, yeah. With yeah. The yeah. Others. yeah. And 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 then maybe no even no motivation to uh, yeah to solve these musical puzzles let's yeah. say well so, there and, and, yeah. uh, but on discipline it's it's like all these problems it sounds as if they have been solved the musical puzzle oh, has right, been right. solved oh and yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Not, well yeah. I think everyone at this point this is before people have a chance to start thinking about it and so this is everyone in the moment bringing these ideas together applying all their attention to it and it and then this this happens this this you know this musical event happens and then you have to step forward and people have time to lay in their beds at night and thoughts begin to spin and petty uh, frankly we all it happens to all of us things we have petty grievances and things that we don't want to admit that affect the way that we operate but they do affect the way that we operate and the things we bring to situations and so it becomes more complicated after that after everyone has done this work of art then you have to move forward i I will say as as much of uh, people and robert have railed against bootlegs over the years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the most amazing pieces of king crimson music that i have ever heard is on and it's only exists in this one place as far as I know it was on a terrible bootleg terribly recorded bootleg called in disciple mining rocks from this this period of the band from 1981 or, 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 or maybe slightly after 1982 and there's a piece on that um, bootleg called untitled and um, it is absolutely astonishing there's an astonishing bit of music in there that is as inventive and different as anything on 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 discipline and i asked about it i asked someone at the record label about it or or maybe sid smith who's uh, uh um gonna come on the show uh, and talk about a grace jones record but mm-hmm. he said oh that's that was something that they were working on for beat or that they had worked on, but they ended up discarding. So there's this one two-minute segment of music that is absolutely just mind-blowing and astonishing. 
and it's, it was, it's absent lovers i think i think it's the uh, track it, called absent lovers it, 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 i think it became part of the howler is what sid told me oh okay okay and it's okay. it's a part and i'll just i'll geek out here and tell it's a part where they were playing just major seconds over each other robert and adrian and then mm-hmm. there's a sort of a pulsing uh rhythm underneath it and it's very intense and very moving and it's just something that you know it to me would be the highlight of my musical career and it was uh, you know we're gonna leave that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's the way it goes sometimes yeah so we should yeah. move on to the to so the, uh, yeah. yeah so in in what you were saying as, as it being sort of a, a concept but not necessarily a concept with everything with the music and lyrics the last two are actually just instrumentals but they definitely complete the record uh sure. these last two and uh and also they um the this is where uh um he plays those african slit drums too on these last yeah, two uh, right on these last two ones they make the appearance so the first one is named after uh i guess and partially ins- inspired by the paul, 1949 paul novel right by paul Bowles. yeah the shell so let's listen to a little bit of the sheltering sky are you launched Yes. Because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. Yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood? Some afternoon that's so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it. Perhaps four or five times more. Perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20. And yet, it all seems limitless. Definitely very soundtracky, you know. Well, very much of the de- that sounds like a desert desert music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is the sheltering sky takes place. It's a terrifying story uh, by Paul Bowles. That uh, and Adrian was very much uh, being influenced by the the beat writers and Paul Bowles at that time. So um, 
it's a it's a story of uh, and the mo- there was a movie made out of it which Frank it's not a great movie but the, no, the story the story the story Paul Bowles stories have a haunting and a very singularly terrifying quality um, that are all his own and uh, the sheltering sky was was one of those mm-hmm. yeah I mean here here you have the introduction of the of the guitar synth like full full frontal right yeah. like it's it's also used on elephant talk for the for right. Robert solo but here it it really comes to the fore is very loud and just the way he he kind of uses all 12 notes as tensions to play uh, against this what I guess like like E minor drone right um, yeah. and 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 there's another like what I find wonderful like Adrian's Roof, which is basically like in the A section, which is basically in four four. Right. But he he kind of repeats it in in bars of or in in like groups of three. <laughs> so you have like three bars of some, and then it repeats. And yes. I, I really I really like that because it just that's something that people listening to uh, pop music again, you know, you get confused, and it yes. sounds like alien just because. You know the the tag comes every third time and not instead uh, of every, every fourth four times. Time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and I kind of like feel like that. Yeah, and, well, and then just just the stick sound here is like really yeah. defining yeah. this oh, piece yeah. a lot. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's like I can't figure out. Like when I'm listening to it, I can't figure out like what is that? What's making that? And what's making that? And I, and I guess I would have to look at the yeah. uh, and the stick, at the credits to see the, the low note on the stick is a is a sixth. And not a dominant seventh. So the what you actually expect to hear is not the note that he plays. So he adds another harmonic layer with just one note under that yeah. that changes the feel of the of the piece in a way that moves it yeah. away from something uh, uh, something um, usual to something unusual. Yeah. And and here also Tony plays the melody side of the stick as well. Yes, which is something he's hardly he hardly did until the mid nineties. Right. So so this is this is really really special because of that. Even though it's just one note, um, but it's it's really it's really yeah. nice. And that gives that gives um, um, you know in the middle section where it's Adrian's solo with these yes. clouds of of guitar synth. Um, that that's Robert and Tony playing the top part. <laughs> with Tony also do, uh, holding down the bass part. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. All right. And now we get so now we get the uh, title. The final track is the title track, and it sort of brings everything together with more crazy time sh- signatures. And I guess uh, Robert Fripp said um, that it was sort of composed to be sort of an exercise in uh, discipline. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, where yeah. where no single instrument is allowed to take the lead role in the performance, uh, yeah. nor to play as simply an accompaniment to another to yeah. other instruments. But yeah. everyone maintains an equal role, which is kind of cool because I guess it is kind of like what you said the band itself was at this point, right? right? Where everyone plays an equal role, everyone is important to the whole. And I think that's why they took away I, the, one of the discussions they had about taking away Bill's symbols was he wanted. Every part. Oh, symbols are horrible. They make too much noise and they wash over everything else. Yeah, no, I agree with him. Yeah, so he wanted <laughs> he wanted to be able to put to have these roles be sonically defined, so that you could everyone could contribute everything they needed to without someone encroaching on sonically on another uh, part. But this song also, I, I will mention that um, there's. 
two guitars, bass, stick, uh, yeah, stick, stick. Chapman stick. Yes, playing mm-hmm. the bass, and then he plays some higher. He plays some things later on in the song on the stick, on the higher end of the stick to add to it, and and drums. But if you listen to this, there you'll hear actually. There's extra stuff that you hear that's not that is only a result of them playing the way they're playing. And ghost, it's so, so like ghost notes, ghost, ghost notes, sounds. yeah, ghost yeah. sounds that uh, that are in there that are just as come as a result well, of hear, the. Well, let's hear what this sounds like. Here. All right, let's listen to a little bit of discipline. <laughs> There comes, there's the hard part right there. I was trying to learn to play this song back in 1981 or 1982 and just getting, you know, totally lost. On like, the stick or on the guitar? No, on the guitar. Oh, on the yeah. Guitar. <laughs> trying to learn the guitar parts with, uh, uh, you know, just by ear. And uh, it's, um, it's very, very tricky. And uh, I, I don't, they didn't, they played this song live some, I believe, but I don't know that it was. Um, I think it was difficult to uh, to to do live, in my recollection. Does that sound right? I think they. I think they played it on the '84 tour. Yeah, and then they played it in the '90s, and they are also playing it with a new band. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's been performed quite a bit, actually. Okay. 
Yeah. Now, now but, I, but I know what you mean. It is, it is extremely difficult and it's actually designed to be difficult. Right. And it's also, <laughs> it's also more difficult than you think. So even if, even if when, when you have the parts down, yeah. just to play it together is like, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge, yeah. Now, Marcus, why do you think the the st- I remember when the when uh, hearing about the Chapman stick and uh, and then uh, did, uh, Tony was he he played with uh, Peter Gabriel he played it sure yeah Lou Reed who played with Lou Reed didn't the guy uh, play a stick with Lou Reed too for a while yeah I don't, someone the, else? I, I don't know if that was Lou Reed Tony. I don't know no it's Fer- Fernando Saunders played bass with Lou oh but, no, was, but no, no but he played it weird it, like but it wasn't a stick but he played like no uh, like there was a guy that played an upright with Lou and that wasn't Fernando Fernando okay. played a just a fretless but bass. I'm just wondering why do you think it didn't take over t- uh, break out more as an instrument like you didn't see you don't see that many people playing it do you think it's just because it's like too uh, uh, hey dude, dude don't get play? me started don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> I think I think. I think it's a it's a inherent problem of the instrument that it really puts people off, and oh. like even Barry said that he had it for a year and then he realized he's not a stick player. Of course, right. you are not a stick player because you have to learn it. But really, what, <laughs> what when I when I first got my stick, I was thinking, oh well, this is from a different planet. Right. Yeah. It really was yeah. just 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 the ergonomics. Yes. You're not not even like under. I could understand the instrument. Like in my head, everything was clear. But then trying to play. Yes. Was there something that is completely over the head of everybody? And yeah. I was one of the one of the few people who started really, really diving deep into the mechanics of it. And I think uh, I think that like some of the way that the Chapman stick has been presented over the years has really prevented it from being taken seriously. And and that's something that that has really touched me personally because I love the stick. I love right. the idea of it, of everything about it, really. It's just that ergonomically, it didn't work for human beings, and still yeah. doesn't, I think. And that's why I got into playing other instruments, and then actually also designed my own. Um, but really, it's 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 really it's really that the the way it's being presented, the way the the kind of music that that people think they should play with it really makes them hit a ceiling after a few weeks of having the instrument, and then. Yeah. People don't have the energy to go go over that hump, right? And which I which I totally understand, and and that's a big problem. I love the instrument so much, I and think, I wish yeah, I, I, I think wish think it would be more why accepted. It become more popular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. um, if some kid if a kid came to you and had and wanted to take lessons from you, would you do that? Would you give someone? Of course, uh, of say, course. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you also well, there's the there's the it's it's a it's a complicated instrument. Um, it has a lot of strings. You have to basically stand up to play it. Um, it's mm. you can play it sitting down, but I don't remember ever being comfortable playing it sitting down. Um, yeah. You you really need two amplifiers to amplify. It's got two different. It's stereo, oh, so wow. one side okay. goes to one amp and one side goes to the other amp. Um, there's a lot. There's a great. It's expensive. They're they're handmade by one guy, or they were. Um, mm-hmm. during the period when I bought one. Um, it sounds like nothing else. Right. It, it is. Yeah, it, that's why I was just wondering why, but I guess you kind of answered the question, Marcus. It is a, a daunting. I guess it's just daunting for a lot of people, and uh, it's not, it's not it you know, where a kid's just going to pick and, up a, a P-Base. And back, back, then, there was, back then, there was no, I mean, no information available that you could take seriously. Oh, you right, could always, right. You could always, if you were a clever person, you could see that people had an agenda, um, like, like there is this funny story where, where Tony told me that he went to take a lesson with Emma Chapman, and Tony asked about 
scales on the bass side of the instrument. Mm -hmm. And then Ahmed apparently said to him, I don't believe in scales in the bass. <laughs> <laughs> which, which put Tony off and he said that he was consider, uh, considering not playing that instrument anymore oh, wow. because of that. Yeah, yeah, but 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 uh, you see, history is it was different. He's he's right, the, right, sure. You know, well, I, I, my my recollection of the literature that I saw from Emma Chapman was that it was a little nutty. It was a little there was um there was he had some odd ideas about. So he was a little bit of a nut then. Well, that well, makes sense to, when to you make think a, about to it come to come up with this instrument. instrument yeah, yeah. Uh, and another thing I think about the stick is that it, it's difficult to practice without an amplifier, where you can have. Um, an electric guitar and you can sit and play electric guitar unplugged but yeah, the touch aspect of the stick means no, you, it, it really to needs to be plugged yeah. in for you to to hear what's going on or because otherwise you hear the resonances on both sides of the fret and so you it sounds it doesn't sound like um, what you're yeah. doing yeah 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 it's it's really like with the with because you're only using one finger to produce a note that one finger is also responsible for muting the note yes you know you, you kind of have to play the end of the note yes. and on a guitar because it's been around for such a long time and you start learning guitar you don't even need to think about that like your hands <laughs> simply do that yeah and you have two hands who do that but yes. you know just one finger on the stick or any touch instrument and you 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 have to release the release the string, leave the finger on the string at the mm, end of the note, mm -hmm. and that's something that is really super not intuitive. Let's say yeah, that already and, sounds and, like too and, much work. Yeah, it's, and it's it actually, needs, yeah, yeah, but 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 it but it just just requires a little uh, switch in your head to flick, <laughs> right, and right. then it works. But you know, a lot of people just don't know about this, yeah. you know, and never ask the question. So well, that's why you're here, Marcus. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, thank you yeah, so much for coming is, on the show. Yeah, this. So this were, is quite a pleasure. I you were a say. great guest, and uh, yeah, we really dug into this record, and uh, I really. Where should people find Marcus Reuters? Where's your preferred avenue for people to purchase your uh, recorded output? Yeah, it's uh, marcusreuter.com, and then uh, there's a link to Bandcamp, and I'd appreciate if people would buy from ba from Bandcamp. But obviously, you can just type my name into a search engine and find yeah, so it's find everything. It, it's M A R K U S. Exactly. R-E-U-T-E-R. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and definitely, uh, yeah, so check out, go to his website, and yeah, definitely go to, I recommend going to Bandcamp. That's where the artist actually gets uh, uh, some of the 90%, money. 90%, <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, no, that is great. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so thanks again for being on the show, for uh, calling in on this, yes, this Sunday evening. Yeah, this was great. And next week, continuing, Barry, continuing our uh, European uh, tour, tour, we got Gary... A Pennington from the UK talking about the teardrop explodes a Kilimanjaro. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting episode as well. It is. And uh, don't forget, uh, people, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron of the show. We just, I just noticed we just got a new patron. I just Excellent. Said a thank you. Uh, you too can go to patreon.com uh, forward slash TRGMH and for as little as a dollar a month. You can uh, just help me and Barry out and, you know, in these, in these trying times, in these uncertain times. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And, and, and that's not an overstatement when they say trying in uncertain times. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> uh, once again, Marcus, thank you so much for thank being you, on the Marcus. show. Uh, thank Great. you, guys. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this is yep. That Record Got Me High. We will see you all next week. We are out. <laughs>